0: Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started.
1: So today we start our series on the six points of financial planning, which is where our name came from. If you're unfamiliar with the origins of our name, it came from what we believe to be the six points of financial planning. And if those points are covered, improved upon and reviewed, our clients will see financial success. As a quick reminder, the six points are number one, investment planning, number two, retirement income planning, number three, risk management, number four, estate planning, number five, tax planning, And number six, kind of our catch-all is custom goal planning. So to help us dive into the first point, which is investment planning, we have a top-rated fund manager that we have access to for our clients. And the last thing I'll mention about this, as advisors, we are obviously able to help our clients with their investments. And when we meet with our clients or potential clients, part of what we do is to determine how our clients should have their money invested and everybody's heard this before, aggressively, conservatively, and anywhere in between. Once that is figured out, we can then manage the money or choose to use other professional managers like Kevin. One of the fund managers that we use is the founder of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin Simpson has been the portfolio manager of Capital Wealth Planning since establishing the firm in 2005. He's originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now his firm is out of Naples, Florida. And Kevin has been investing in options since he began his career at W.H. Newbold and Company in 1992. So after his time there, he spent seven years with Wheat First Butcher Singer, subsequently Wells Fargo, where where he helped institutions and high net worth individuals plan and achieve their financial goals through option-centered strategies. That sounds complicated. We'll get into that. But following his time there, Kevin spent several years at Sterling Financial before establishing Capital Wealth Planning. Over the years, Kevin has developed a strategy that aligns CWP as an institutional management firm offering separately managed ETF and equity portfolios that are complemented with a yield enhancing covered call strategy. Kevin, people have no idea what we're talking about right now, but we're going to get into that. Kevin is a graduate of the George Washington University, where he majored in finance, and he applies institutional investment management strategies to diversified equity and option portfolios. Holy cow. How are you, Mr. Simpson? I'm bored of that long introduction, <laughs> I know. Dave. I mean, geez. Your agent sent that to me. Your agent sent that to me. I had to right. read it. You're too
2: right? old. I mean, here's an old guy who's been in the business
1: a long time. And our podcast is over now, right? That, that's yeah. it. <laughs> and the whole thing was an intro. So, I, So we just use the words, I'm throwing this out there, strategy, institutional, separately managed ETF, equity portfolio, yield enhancing covered call strategy, and, and a bunch more. So financial advisors obviously understand what you're talking about, but the average investor listening to this on their way to work right now has no idea what we just said. So I wanted to make a quick note about something that people will understand, and then I'm going to let you take it away. But if an investor put $500,000 into your enhanced dividend income fund in 2012, which wasn't that long ago, they would now have over $800,000 as of today. Oh, and, and by the way, They took $280,000 out in the meantime. So for a relatively, I don't want to say conservative portfolio, which we'll get into, that's an amazing performance. The average rate of return is is very good. It's a five-star rated fund based on Morningstar ratings, which is hard to accomplish. And the key here is with less risk than many of the markets. So Kevin, if you could, how do you do that? How do you do this? How do we explain this simply to clients and what
2: you're doing? Well, first, Dave, thank, thanks for having me. You know, it's always a pleasure to, to, to have anyone interested in what I'm talking about. So th- <laughs> th- thank you for that. I'm humbled by it. <laughs> yeah. And and when I think about institutional money management, you know, it's all about risk adjusted returns. And what I love about your company, Six Points, is that you walk through clients in, in a process of financial planning. You know, everything is rules-based and you go through a step-by-step um, tutorial and, and it's a lifelong process managing money is no different. You know, the best portfolio managers are looking at processes, not just on how they invest, how we buy stocks, but as importantly, on how we sell stocks. And, and we'll get into covered call writing with my portfolio, but it's the same thing. It's all about a risk-adjusted total return and having a process to deliver that on a repetitive basis for clients. You know, it's funny when you talk about risk-adjusted returns, you know, none of us complain about risk when markets are up. You know, well, we just made 20% in a year. We don't feel like we're being too risky, but we're reminded of it when we see a stock market pull back 35% over a three and a half week period. And then we think, oh, geez, maybe, maybe we need to look at our risk budgets. And, and that's what you do such a great job at with your clients from an asset allocation standpoint and a, and a risk budgeting and all the things that you do from, from soup to nuts.
1: Yeah, it was interesting you bring this up. We did not talk about this ahead of time. We had so many clients about what was a year and a half ago now, right, that thought they were aggressive investors because of so many years of the market just going straight up, basically, right? They couldn't get it wrong. Then when they saw it drop, we quickly realized that the people who thought they were aggressive could not handle that type of loss in their portfolio, So, which is actually part of what you guys do. So when you talk about your process, what, like, what is your process? How are you choosing the stocks before we get into the covered call stuff?
2: Yeah, and it's probably better to talk about this—the portfolio construction with any portfolio manager, because most of your return comes from what you own. The covered calls will, will help harvest volatility and be a modest hedge, but most of your performance comes from the underlying asset base. So, it's a, it's an old-fashioned way of thinking about investing. You know, show me a great company with a strong balance sheet, an increasing earnings history. We want companies that pay dividends, so we always are looking for companies that pay dividends and increase those dividends over time. But that first thing I said is so important because we want them to be able to increase their dividends because they're increasing their earnings. So if you have a great company that can control its supply line, has pricing power, has growing earnings, and pays an increasing dividend, that's usually a recipe for success right there from an investment standpoint over the long term. Now, they're more mature companies. They're not going to be stocks that are on a you know meteoric tear because they're they're, they're not at that phase of their corporate lifestyle, the maturation phase of a company in the mega cap space, high quality blue chips. You know, they've been around for a long time. That in and of itself doesn't make them a good investment, but it's a good place to start. We also don't try to time the market. You know, there's a lot of people that will think that it's a, po- a possible strategy to implement, but it's so hard. You know, it's easy to maybe get out, but it's so difficult to get back in. You know, you've got to make two decisions, perfect trajectories that very, very few people, if any, that are live can actually do it. So we don't time the market. And in terms of sectors, we try to have inclusion of all sectors because you never know when things are going to come in and out of favor. And then even to the extent that we might have a tremendously strong conviction on any one stock, we never invest more than 5% of our portfolio in any one name because as much as we might like it, you just never know. Things happen. So if we have a stock that's doing really well and it grows to a 7 or 8% weighting, we use old-fashioned rebalancing. We trim it back to 5 and we've got assets to, to rotate throughout the portfolio, and effectively, with that portion, we're selling uh, high on something we bought lower, which is great. You like when that happens. So it's a well-diversified portfolio of high-quality names that go through a process that make it really a viable investment long-term. Maybe not, again, the, the highest-yielding stock, maybe not the fastest-growing stock, but we want consistent dividend growth. So that on the whole portfolio, we're targeting about a 2 to 3% dividend, But more importantly, and probably the secret sauce, which isn't a secret, is that we want the dividend growth on this portfolio over five years to be about 10 to 15%. And if you think about the clients that are attracted to a strategy like ours, they're mostly baby boomers. They're approaching retirement or in retirement. In many cases, those retirements are going to be long and and healthy, and you're going to be in retirement potentially longer than you were in your work years. And you need to keep pace with a rising cost of inflation. Dividend growth is a tremendously effective way to do that. There's a different risk profile with stocks than with you know, an old-fashioned CD, but looking at dividend growth as a means of retirement income, and you're an expert in how, how you allocate that within an asset allocation model, but including it, um, it makes a tremendous amount of sense, especially in a period of rising interest rates. And that's what we're in store for down the road.
1: Yeah, which we could also talk about that for an hour in itself, but how many stocks do you hold right now? And there's a reason I'm asking that. So it's somewhere around, I think it was, it's between, from what I've seen on my end, and I know you know the answer to this, but it's typically, it's a smaller portfolio, 20 to 25 stocks. Somewhere, the last time I looked, it was 23. And I know you guys don't
2: fluctuate from that. So what is it as of today? Yeah, David, with 25 to 30 is our target. We've been as low okay. as 22, even as high as 30. Right now, we happen to own 25 companies in the portfolio, okay. which is our sweet spot. We like it there. And this isn't me. This goes back to Benjamin Graham. If you read The Intelligent Investor, and I did as a young man a long time ago, we really target that 25 to 30 number a, a, as an ideal portfolio for maximum allocation. Today, modern theory would would argue that you know 40 stocks might be more optimized and you could go as high as 50. But I'm old, old school and I like 25 to 30.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of the reason I asked was I think a lot of people, if, if, again, just the average listener, I think that they need to own hundreds or even thousands of stocks to be fully diversified. You mentioned that you're in every sector, which again, for the average listener is different parts of the economy. What are like, give me like three examples of some, you talked about big companies, high dividends that you own right now so that
2: just people can put their finger on what you guys actually hold. Well, we don't look for high dividends per se. Some of them certainly do pay high dividends, but for us, we're looking for dividend growth. Okay. An example in the utility sector, you know, somewhat, you know, boring from a growth perspective, but we're going to have, you know, access to, to that sector. The energies and the financials have decent dividends. They've been tremendously out of favor for a long time. They've got a lot of uh, t- tailwind right now, whether it was a utility or, or a, a tech stock, is that all of those companies have increasing earnings. And they have increasing dividends. They're not old school aristocrats. They don't have to raise the dividend each and every year. But again, we're looking at a five-year trend of dividend growth as a result of earnings growth. And all of those companies fit the bill. That's interesting. So
1: I want to get into, there's so many questions I ask you about that, but I was trying to explain this to a client last week, and I mentioned this before. So you own the stocks. I think most people understand if the stocks go up in value or the dividend is increasing, that their portfolio will go up. With that said, the value add and part of the value add that you guys provide is the the covered call strategy itself. Now I say covered call strategy. Again, most people are automatically tuned out. Like I just want someone else to do that for me. And I don't even know what that means or I don't want to get involved because I don't know what it means. So can you, when I tried to explain it to this client, it was a disaster. I know what it is. Trying to explain it is difficult. So I thought I'd go right to the guy that does it. And I've heard you say multiple times on different podcasts, I just do covered call writing or covered call strat. And it's like, you make it sound like it's easy, but again, the average person out there has absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So can you explain what it is and even give us an example, if it makes sense?
2: Yeah, sure, Dave. And it is easy. I mean, it's not rocket science. I'm not Elon Musk trying to go to the moon, but it's a process that takes tremendous amount of time and application. And even though we started out the conversation with six points, it's a process we go through each and every day on every single position. And often when you think of options, you know that could turn clients head away and, and maybe the interest wanes right there because the misconception is that all options are risky. And, and Certainly, trading options and buying options can be very risky. You know, the high pro- higher probability is that you'll lose all your money right, if, you know, buying an option than not. When you win, you can win big, but we're, we're talking about the speculative side of things. You know, It can be really dangerous to walk across the street with your eyes closed, but if you go to the stoplight and you wait for the green signal and the walk signal and you pay attention, you know, it's pretty easy, pretty safe. We're writing covered calls. We're selling covered calls. So, we're generating income. Someone's paying us every time. So, that's kind of a a, a means of reducing risk right out of the gate. When you introduce covered calls to a strategy, you're reducing the risk of that strategy. It's not a free lunch. You're potentially forfeiting some upside capture, but to us, that's okay. You know, I mentioned Ben Graham earlier, and I'll mention him again now. He says that the best portfolio managers are those that can manage risk and protect the downside. That's all we focus on. And if you can do that effectively, the upside will always take care of itself. So, what's a covered call? A covered call is no different with stock than a lease option in real estate. You know, you're know, you looking at investments in rental real estates as things that you make a purchase with the hope and intent of selling it someday at a price higher than you paid for it, which is no different than buying a share of stock today. We want to buy it and sell it higher. In in rental properties, you get the, the privilege, the benefit, the passive income through monthly rent, which is great. And you can use the analogy that a dividend is similar to that from a stock investment, especially the way we do it. But in real estate, a very common part of a transaction could be a lease option where the tenant is essentially locking in a price for a limited period of time, usually six to 12 months, to buy this property that they're living in and renting at a price higher than it would market for today. But presumably, if the real estate prices were to go higher, they're locking in a price that's fair to the buyer and the seller as they sit there today. In a lease option, the real estate payment In addition to the dividend is is paid to the landlord and they keep it no matter what happens, whether the price goes up, down, or sideways, whether they execute the transaction on the property or not, it's money coming in the door that they're keeping. Same thing with a covered call. We're selling someone the right to buy a share of stock from us at a point in the future, for us usually 30 days, at a price higher than the stock is today, exactly like a lease option. If we have a share of stock that trades for $100 a share and we sell someone the right to buy it from us next month at 105, well, as we sit here today, that sounds like a great profit. 5% return, annualize that out. That's a 60% annualized profit. And somebody's going to pay me a dollar today in my pocket to lock that in. Sounds great. And as I described it, it does sound great. But sometimes the stocks go up higher. If the stock goes to 110 or 115, you're like, who's this idiot that brought in a dollar and we have to sell the stock at 105? But someone way smarter than me taught me, you never lose money taking a profit. And if on a consistent basis, you're constantly engaging in these contracts, sure, sometimes you're going to forfeit some upside. But many, many times, 70% of the time, options expire worthless. I cannot quote you who said that. I, I, I think anyone in the options space would say that same quote, but it's been lost over time as to who we need to to, yeah. to, to, to support in terms of that quote. But what it talks about is the percentages that you have in your favor being a seller of something. So in our example of a $100 stock, we're going to bring in and collect that premium. We have a $5, 5% potential upside profit that we can still participate in. And whatever dividends we'd be entitled to for that time are ours as well. The stock could go up, down, or sideways. If it goes down, I mean, we're not thrilled whenever a stock goes down, but at least we buffered ourselves by that premium that we brought in, that hypothetical dollar. If the stock goes f- up to 104.99 or stays flat, we're happy because we've collected that dollar no matter what and we haven't lost on the stock. And again, if it goes to 110 or 115, sure, we left a little potential unrealized profit on the table, but we still made a return that we were very happy with on that $5 upside. Plus the premium that we kept. And by doing them short, you have a consistency of collecting those premiums over time. Now we use options, Dave, more to harvest volatility. We're not writing calls systematically on everything all the time. We really look at volatility in the more volatile markets. We want to take advantage of that to help buffer the downside of the portfolio, really to smooth out that ride for the client experience. And covered calls, you know, for us, sometimes it's quite frugal. We don't write covered calls just for the sake of doing it. But our threshold for capture of cash flow is about two to four percent a year. So we don't have to write a lot of covered calls. We don't have to run out into the proverbial highway to just pick up a nickel. We're going to be very patient, even to the extent that we might not be selling a call in a position, which happens more time than it doesn't. We're still evaluating it every single day going through that process. And if you take two to four percent option premium and add it to the two to three percent dividend, now you have a really high quality blue chip portfolio that's gonna deliver a four to 7% combined cash flow. Yes, you forfeit some upside, but we try to target 80 to 90% of an up market. And again, way more important to us is being a participant or capturing only 65 to 75% of a down market. And that's our strategy. A quick interruption.
0: Six Point Financial Partners is taking on new clients. If you would like to take the next step in planning your future with Dave or the Six Point team, please visit them at www6 to schedule a time or reach out via LinkedIn, Facebook, or simply find us on the internet by searching Six Point Financial Partners. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, and it's the reason I love
1: it for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is that people are looking for areas of growth and income right now due to low interest rates, as we know, and you get somebody headed into retirement, like you mentioned, And they just they still want some growth. If somebody retires at 60 years old now and the average life expectancy continues to rise, we don't want to take all that money and throw it in a CD at the bank, like you mentioned. We still want some growth on it with inflation and other things happening. But I'm gonna go back to my example of the five hundred thousand that someone put in two thousand and twelve. They now have over eight hundred thousand in that portfolio. And in the meantime, they took two hundred and eighty thousand dollars out. That is an incredibly high number if you Break down the math on it. They're making a lot of money. So that two hundred eighty thousand of income. So the five hundred's turned into eight hundred. They've taken two hundred eighty thousand out. Is that the income that you're talking about between the dividend growth and the covered call premium?
2: Yeah, that. That's an example where we're showing a I mean it's it's an audited number, but I don't think we have, it with the exception of one client I can think of with the financial advisor in Pittsburgh. most most financial advisors and and their clients aren't taking every single penny of cash right. flow.
1: Yep. what
2: that illustrates accurately and is that if we had made this five hundred thousand dollars investment at the end of two thousand and twelve and we pulled out all the dividends and all the covered call premiums, which I think average they annualize out about five point one percent just from the cash flow, not the total return. You'd have pulled out to, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred and eighty thousand. I'm trusting your math. I'm not looking at it. And that five hundred still would have grown to almost eight hundred, depending upon fees. With, um, with with having pulled all that money each and every month, most people don't do that. So if you look at a normal, you know, compounding chart, it's right. just insane how much those assets grow. I don't even show them because it's like. I'm the, the p- participant in a really strong bull market. It makes me look yeah. a lot smarter than I really am. So standards <laughs> live up
1: to. <laughs> yeah, the numbers.
2: I mean, we have awesome performance. The numbers are great. I'm very, very proud of them. But we're always thinking, like, what are we going to do tomorrow? And by having a process, just like you do, it helps mm-hmm. m- maintain expectations in terms of what can we expect. You know, nothing's set in stone. Every stock we pick doesn't go always straight up. I mean, but there's always a reason for why we do everything. And, and when you have that in play, then this expectation of, all right, well, if the market's doing really well, we still want our clients to participate in upside. Sixties is the new 30. They're going to live a really long time. Interest rates are non-existent. The, the, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But it's always you having, having that eye on, well, what happens when things crash? Because they do. I remember in 1992 to 1997, I thought I was a genius. Like, oh, this is so easy. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm the smartest guy in the world. I wasn't smart at all, but I thought I was. It was just the bull market made me th- seem smart. And then we had, you know, many pullbacks along the way that humble you and teach you and hopefully you get better over time. So when 2020 happened, no one would have expected a global pandemic, but you know, we knew how to trade it. We knew how to understand the math. It was like, all right, it's just another one of these 2008 again, from the standpoint of how we think about portfolios. So the next time it happens, God forbid, whatever the event might be, we'll trade it the same way because we know how to do it.
1: Okay. I have two questions here. Why doesn't everybody do this? Number one. And I guess I kind of know the answer to that because it sounds, if I'm the listener again, I, it sounds like too good to be true. I can minimize the downside. I can still get most of the upside. Why doesn't everybody do it? And then my second part of this question is, how did you get into this? What made you want to do this type of fund management?
2: <laughs> that story is not as exciting, but what mm-hmm. most people don't do it because it's just a ton of work. You're limiting your upside and you still have downside and writing the covered calls is just a never-ending process. So, it's something that you can start up. It's like a New Year's resolution, like, oh, this is great. You know, but after a year of doing it every day, looking at 25 positions, it's, you know, it's difficult to, to you know handle that monotony for a lot of people. But again, it's easy to do, and anyone could do it. I sort of fell into it by accident early on, in, in very, very, very early on in my career. I had a mentor that assigned me a client that Most of the seasoned veterans didn't want to deal with. They weren't high maintenance. They were really very, very sweet and nice people, but they weren't the most sophisticated. They owned one position, Johnson and Johnson, and they had inherited it through many generations. And they would spend a lot of time with with the older seasoned veterans, and not very much was. You couldn't really make a lot of money. It wasn't an efficient use of your time if you're a traditional stockbroker or a customer man. So. Send you know send Kevin and Simpson will So I'm like, what do you want to do with it? They have one yeah. stock, Johnson and Johnson. He's like, yeah, sell calls on it. What's that? He's like, you'll figure it out. You're going to be, yeah, you know, go figure it out what it is. I'm like, that's great. What do to teach me? Um, but ultimately, he did very very efficiently. And so that was something I just like you said, Dave. I was like, why isn't everyone doing this? Now, of course, there are times when the stock goes up and you have tax consequences, or you need to to sell a stock at a price higher than it's trading at, and you have seller's remorse when you own one position with a low cost basis that you've had in your family for a hundred generations uh, and you sell firewood for a living. So that, not to you know get you too deep into the psyche of the clients, super, super sweet people, but I'm not sure they had a shower. Anyway, that idea always resonated with me. So when I started my own firm in 2005, I had been trained in large cap value portfolio management without the benefit of the covered call writing, but I really wanted to introduce it in equation because I always believed that you know the risk-adjusted return is more important than return, ultimately, for clients, even though we don't care about it till we lose money. So that's the story, whether it's a good one or a bad one, that's how it happened. Hey, that's, that's what happened. It's a
1: great story. So one, one last question. I don't want to say technical stuff, but you've said that the words, and I, this is an easy one for you, risk-adjusted return a bunch of times throughout the last 15, 20 minutes. What is risk-adjusted return?
2: It's having the best return possible by taking a lower level of risk. And that can be any level. I mean, you can, you know, I talk about 80 to 90 percent upside capture, 65, 75 percent downside capture. You can change those bands any way that's appropriate for a client's risk tolerance. It's no different than what you do when you look at asset allocation. It's the same thing in portfolio management. So we take what we try to measure to be 20 to 30 percent less risk than the broader markets. To deliver those types of returns. Again, it's not a perfect science, but the covered calls tend to work best when we need them to most in periods of higher volatility, which isn't a- anything unique to me. Anyone writing covered calls in the option world would benefit from that higher volatility as an option seller. But if you look at 2020, just as a snapshot example, the call premiums helped a lot to buffer the downside participation. So risk-adjusted returns to me is more important than anything else but it's not—it's not something that we're always thinking about. So often, it's well, how much did we make? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. important. It's really important. But you don't want to wake up one day and have a lot more downside capture than you had planned, because 2008 happened or 2020 happened, and now instead of being 40 or 50, you know, you're 70 or 80. It's not as easy to make it back. So that, thats how I responded to your comment yeah. about risk-adjusted returns.
1: Yeah, that's so. What was it like? over that weekend or that day last year in 2020 in your office when all of a sudden it just started to tank? The markets just dropped straight down. Like, What is it like in the day of a life of a guy like you when that happens?
2: It's not that exciting because we write covered calls usually for 30-day cycles. And when you have a massive pullback, you, you have to be very careful not to be tempted into writing covered calls because markets can snap back, whether it's a dead cat bounce or a to, you know, change in, in headlines. So you still have to exercise a tremendous amount of patience. But it's like I tell my son all the time: you know, anybody can make money when the ticker tape's green. Mm-hmm. You have to know what to do when it's red. Ray Dalio read an amazing book called Principles, and it just talks about. And I probably even quoted him earlier subconsciously to say, "Well, it's just another one of those things. This is just another market correction. We know what to do. As long as we own companies that have profits and tons of free cash flow, and they can weather any storm." We'll be okay. The pandemic was pretty scary. It turned out that it worked out well for a lot of the names that we own because they thrived in it. Like some of the we, we don't need to go through all the list of the reopening stocks because everyone's bored to death of it, but like Walmart continued to do very well uh, because people still needed things. We, we we noticed that with a lot of the different names that actually benefited from what that particular circumstance was. And financials, they didn't go to single digits like they did during the financial crisis because it was a global pandemic. But that's why you want to have a diversified portfolio.
1: So I'm always interested in what it's like. I know for us, it's immediate panic from clients, right? So they're getting a hold of us. We had hundreds of emails, text messages, phone calls, but part of what we did was proactively communicate as it was happening. And I've learned that too. And Kevin, you know this, you go through a few down markets. It's like, you learn what to do next time. So I know when this happens again, exactly what our firm would do the next time this happens i have two more questions for you one is what is like your ideal client and i know you you work with advisors and other and firms but like as an investor what
2: is an ideal client for you yeah so just i mean just to put an exclamation point on that we don't work with any direct clients we only serve right. some new, you are our client you're the right. perfect client dave Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the ideal client is uh, <laughs> typically someone like we talked about before approaching retirement, in retirement, maybe not taking a distribution yet, but knowing that at some point they're going to need to turn that on. And there's 10,000 baby boomers still were retiring every day. So it's a <laughs> growing potential client base. And in a period of very low interest rates that we've been in, and then presumably an increasing rate environment, which will be entering, uh, that dividend growth sweet spot has a lot of merit. So I think that if if you're a young investor starting out, we're probably not the strategy that you want to take a look at. But if you're someone that has some assets that you want to protect, but still conservatively on the equity side, that this is a strategy that should be a part of every allocation. You never put all your money with any one basket, as good as we might be. It's just, we're a piece of your asset allocation model. And I think that's how you use us.
1: That's exactly right. We, we call it the different buckets, right? I lied. I do have one more question. because you Just because you mentioned younger investors starting out. All right. Do you guys have your eye on the crypto markets
2: at all? Yeah. You know, you can't do an interview without being asked about crypto. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I wasn't going to ask either. I'm happy you did because I, I, I do watch it. You know, we're, we're not speculating or trading in crypto because it's not a dividend paying stock. But it's something you have to pay attention to. Once you stop paying attention to things that are moving markets, you're, going to, you're not going to be a successful investor. And I think blockchain is something that's inevitable. And, and you, you have to be, if you're not investing in it, which we're not directly, you have to be paying attention to it every day because to not do so, I think would be naive. Yeah, I mean, could you guys
1: in your fund, if you, had, if you thought you had to, could you invest No, in No,
2: because we're only going to be investing in companies that not only pay a dividend, but have a history of increasing dividends. And that's why in your buckets, you know, we serve our need. If you see me buy crypto, you should fire me. But the hell do I know about crypto? <laughs> um, I know about dividend paying stocks and I stay in my lane. You also have a good answer about crypto. So I, th- I think you nailed it. So Kevin,
1: we appreciate it. You're a busy guy. Again, appreciate your time. How can our listeners find you or reach out to you. And keep in mind, half of our listeners are investors and the average
2: client out there. The other half are actually financial advisors. Well, if you're a financial advisor, please give me a call. I'd love to tell more an in-depth version of our strategy. Yep. Uh, if you're a retail investor, you should call Dave because he, he, he is a top-notch <laughs> financial advisor. You can follow me on, on Twitter. I'm at Covered Calls. Kevin of course you are. <laughs> Kevin Simpson is Twitter handle at Covered Calls. And uh, if you follow me there. You can get all, all the information that you could possibly handle on Kevin Simpson, Capital Wealth Planning, covered call writing in our enhanced dividend income portfolio. But Dave, I had a blast. Have you back anytime. If, if you get some good feedback, you're the best and just have a great rest of your week, great month and a great finish to the year.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everybody. and make it a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.
3: Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security, or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG advisory, or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by Registered Representatives of Private Client Services. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.
1: Options involve unique and substantial risks and are not suitable for all investors. Please read characteristics and risks of standardized options found on the Options Clearing Corporation website before investing in options. A covered call strategy can limit the upside potential of the underlying stock position, as the stock would likely be called away in the event of substantial stock price increase. Additionally, any downside protection provided to the related stock position is limited to the premium received. Short options can be assigned at any time up to the expiration, regardless of the in-the-money amount. The risk of being assigned on a covered call contract is higher when the underlying security of an in-the-money option is near the ex-dividend date. Payments of dividends is never guaranteed. Dividends can be reduced or discontinued at any time. Not all securities allow dividend reinvestment.